Today, the Shelter Island Reporter talks to Alifair Burke, best-selling author of mystery novels, including her collaboration with Mary Higgins Clark. I'm Susan Carey Dempsey, and this is our conversation. Alifair, you have taken on a very interesting challenge in your career that's already very busy and successful as a as a mystery crime writer. As people on Shelter Island have discovered recently, their town is mentioned in the book that you have brought out that is is a continuation of Mary Higgins Clark's legacy. And and from her first book, Where Are the Children? We now have Where Are the Children Now? And you were chosen by Mary to continue her work. She was such a prolific novelist, and you have really kind of seamlessly been able to continue that. So tell me a little bit about what that's like to to step in and be part of that process. Uh, thank you so much. It's a bit overwhelming when I stop to think about it because it's, you know, a, a big responsibility and one I take really seriously because... Mary Higgins Clark was so beloved by her readers. And, you know, I want to make sure that it's true to her voice and her unique approach to storytelling. So we got to know each other several years ago when her publisher contacted me and asked me if I was open to perhaps collaborating with somebody on a series. And, you know, I was writing my own books. I think I had written, um, you know, probably 10 books by then. And I, I hadn't been looking for a co-author and I was like, oh, well, thank you for thinking of me. And then before I finished the sentence, they told me it was Mary Higgins Clark. And I said, oh, okay, well, that is different. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't turn down that conversation. So that was an easy yes, whether I was willing to get together with her for lunch and to talk about possibly working together. And to my surprise, she had read several of my books and she was looking for a collaborator who had worked before on an ongoing series, which I had before that might be able to, she would continue to write a book a year by herself, um, a standalone, but then we would also once a year um, work on this series together. That was a spinoff from one of her books. And we were open to it, but we tried to figure out how we were going to do that. And I I said, well, you've co-authored with your daughter, Carol, what process did you use? And she says, oh, she would come to my house and we would sit next to each other or we would go on vacation together and sit next to each other and write the book together. And I was like, I assume you don't want me to move into your house. And she was uh-huh. like, no, you don't need to move into my house and I don't <laughs> want you to. That would have been a book. So w- we, we just couldn't, like, we both make things up as we go along and we couldn't figure out how are two people going to do that. So we just sat down and I think what clicked, I think I when we both knew it was going to work, is we talked about, well, how do you create your stories? And we we both always started from character. So mm. we sat down and we, you know, it got to the point by we were kind of like one voice by the sixth book we wrote together. But we would sit down and just start with characters. We would talk about who everybody was, what their conflicts were, what their motivations were, what are they hiding. And from that, we would come up with a plot. And remarkably easy when there were two of us together. So we started doing that and we wrote six series books together. And unfortunately, we were finishing um, one of the final books and we were still exchanging pages um, two days before she passed. Um, She passed Mm -hmm. away in very early 2020, you know, before COVID. And the family, you know, took some time, you know, but not very long to say, you know, mom wanted you to finish the book. Are you willing to finish the book? I'm like, of course. 
the series is continuing beyond that. I mean, she wanted the the series con- uh, characters to continue. And so I've been doing that. And also, um, you know, Where Are the Children was such an iconic book. And so many yes. of my crime writing friends, like we all talk about what a game changer that book was and what it, how it's left this kind of lasting imprint on the genre. I mean, it really was kind of the first domestic suspense book where right. the danger was close to home, you know, not outside the home. Yeah. So she and I had talked about doing a sequel to it where, you know, we'd revisit the family 40 years later where the children who were missing in that book are now the adults in peril. And the family thought that it would be a good idea to go ahead and tell that story. And so I I did a lot of work kind of mining the material from the original book to make sure that that same voice and the community that that family grew up in is, you know, alive on the page. And so I've been really, really pleased at, you know, Mary's longtime readers seem really receptive to it. And it's like a visit with an old friend. Yes, that's a really good way to put it. I mean, that was certainly a challenge to 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 mess with something that was as popular and as as wonderful as that. It's an accomplishment, but it's also a, a very comforting thing for people to say, well, this is this is something I can go back and revisit with these characters and worry about them and see if everything turns out all right. It's really come together so beautifully. Thank you. Which is why it's hard to get your hands on it. Everybody's looking for it. <laughs> and I should say, in Shelter Island, go to Philly's Fiction. I'm sure she has it. What Mary did and what I think you do uh, so nicely is put in those little details of reality. And uh, we love you know, the, the Shelter Island Ferry being in this book. And I looked back at some of your books that you wrote by yourself, and I had the same feeling picking them up and saying, well, here we are back in Brooklyn, or here we are on New York City subway, in, uh, if you were here. It's been a really nice, tight story, but you also put in these little bits of humanity in the people and the experiences, which I, I think you have to obviously have that great skill as a writer, but you also bring in your own background and you have a legitimate voice as a former prosecutor talking about these crime stories. And how and when did you make that transition? Yeah, it was. I wish I could say it was well thought out and all part of the grand plan, but <laughs> nothing good ever is, right? So, um, my father is a writer. Um, his name is James Lee Burke, and my mother's a librarian. And of the four children in our family, I was the one who was probably most into books. And especially my father was always telling me, you know, you're going to be a writer. I can just tell you're going to be a writer. And oh. like, like most kids, you know, if your parents tell you what you're going to be, you decide to do something <laughs> completely different. I'm like, no, yes. I refuse to be a writer. Yeah. So many of my friends who wanted to be writers, their parents told them, you know, be a doctor, be a lawyer. And so instead, I've got I've got an artistic father saying, you know, live an artist's life. And I was like, no, I'm going to be a lawyer. <laughs> so I, I went to law school, but I was always really interested in crime. I went to law school thinking I would do something else. I wanted to work for the Southern Poverty Law Center or or do constitutional mm. law or something, but it was going to save the world. But I was so interested in crime that I wound up um, going to the prosecutor's office in Portland, Oregon, and I practiced there. And while I was there, I was still continuing to read all the mystery lo- uh, novels I love to read. And uh-huh. I noticed like every time a prosecutor turned up on the page, it was just it would get really boring, and the lawyers would say hearsay and objection, <laughs> and, um, you know, really dry technical stuff and. Meanwhile, you know, you were talking about the importance of setting to a book. I mean, where I worked, it was like such a vibrant setting, just the way judges talk 
on the bench is so different than the way they talk in chambers and the real mm-hmm. action isn't happening in the courtroom. It's happening like in the rushed conversations in the hallways. And I was like, oh, you know, maybe it would be interesting to set a book in this world. And so I became one of those lawyers thinking, you know, one of these days I'll write a book. <clears throat> so I wrote my mm-hmm. one book. I figured it would be my one book and it would sit on my, you know, sit uh-huh. on the shelves of my office. Like, like I wrote a book one time <laughs> and I was very fortunate that uh, multiple editors wanted it. It went to auction my agent called me and you know, told me the good news and said, oh, but one thing they, they, is it a series? You think you would have <laughs> asked me that before. I was like, um, do they want it? Do they want it to be a series? And this was back when everybody wanted series books, you know, in the early aughts. And I said, do they want it to be a series? He's like, yeah, they're thinking of it as a running series. And I was like, then yes, it is definitely a series. Yeah. Just like I planned it. Exactly. I have all kinds of other ideas of what could happen Uh in future books. I was like, oh no, what did I just do? So my first contract was just for two books. I'm like, I can do it. I can do a second book. And then I got a contract for two more books. And you know, I I said, oh, I can do it. I can do two more. And then probably it wasn't until like eight books in that I was kind of like, okay, I guess I'm actually a writer now. Wow, eight books. Like you still still weren't putting away your briefcase and uh just, just weren't quite sure. But I think I think you actually did become a writer. Yes. At some point I became a real writer. Um and the law school I teach I teach at Hofstra Law School now. <clears throat> I went to my dean and told him I had done I had gone and written this mystery novel. I thought he was gonna blow up at me and he was like, that is so cool. He's like, uh-huh. I keep doing it. That's great. So um, I did both things pretty much full time. I had two full time jobs for a lot of years. The law school has been very kind that I now just teach one semester. So that's kind of the perfect amount for me. I'm sure you have to be very organized to give yourself a schedule and, and meet a deadline to to write a book at the same time. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's pretend that's true. <laughs> Oh yes, indeed. Well, I should say that you're you have succeeded to the point where uh, you just finished your term as president of the Mystery Writers of America. So you obviously are well respected by your colleagues, and that's that's quite a feat in itself. And I've seen that you were also the first woman of color to be in that position. So uh, if I would imagine, it's a lot of. Um, men who looked the same had that position for a long time. <laughs> yeah, for a very long time, it was men. And then there was uh, Walter Mosley as an African-American man. And then there were many women since then. But yeah, somebody else had to point out to me, I was the first woman of color. So that was quite an honor. It was just an honor overall to be named. Sure. Because, um, you know, when I looked at the list of former presidents of Mystery Writers of America, I was pretty overwhelmed. I mean, I'm a fan of all of these, wow. you know, heralded writers. And to be among that list, I was kind of like, it was pretty overwhelming. Yes, I'm sure that is really a great achievement. I mean, it's good to just write a good book, but to, to be recognized among really good writers, uh, that really is something. Yeah, to- and it was fun. It was- More than put on a shelf. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm a big supporter of the organization because, um, you know, writing is solitary work, but, you know, I'm not a solitary person. I like knowing people. So Mystery Writers of America when I first moved to New York became, you know, going to book events and going to local chapter events was a nice way to get to know other people who write or even just readers and librarians. Like it's a very nice community of people with a common interest. 
I kind of wondered about that. Like, is that what goes on, which sounds very supportive, or is it just, you know, you meet once a year and give out awards? So it's it's nice to know that that's a, a supportive community. There's local chapters, but there's regional chapters all over the country, and they do running, you know, usually like monthly events. Um, and some of it's socializing, but some of it's focusing on trade, you know, they'll do a panel, you know, mm-hmm. how to do a plot twist or how to market your book, you know, different topics. I want to focus in also on the subject of a lot of your books. And this, this I noticed with, you know, uh, Mary Higgins Clark was, you would enjoy reading the books because of the characters and some of the, the romance and all these things. Yet some of the villains were really horrible and some of the crimes were horrible. And you have had to deal with that in your writing. And you've mentioned growing up, learning about the uh, the crimes of the BTK killer in the part mm-hmm. of the world where you lived in Kansas. And it, it it makes you want to turn away. And yet there's a strange fascination with what, what could possibly go on in the minds of these people. And right now, we are seeing the big break where we seem to know the identity of the Gilgo Beach killer. You feel like you're seeing the same thing play out again? I mentioned before I wound up becoming a prosecutor because I'm reading all these mystery novels because I was so fascinated by crime. But I think part of the reason why I was fascinated with crime is because when I lived in Wichita, Kansas, as a child, it was the period during which a serial killer who called himself BTK, which stood for Bind, Torture, and Kill, was active. And, you know, he would break into people's homes, the stuff of nightmares, and then write letters, you know, to the police and to newspapers about it kind of taking pleasure right and in, in, mm. in reminding people of the pain he inflicted upon his victims but i have followed those i mean i think like a lot of people who live on the island that um on long island those gilgo beach murders are just fascinating from even the way it started right they're looking for one missing woman and then they wind up finding all these other bodies yes. that may or may not all be connected in one location and it sounded to me like they would never catch him. I mean, it's been years and years. And yet, you know, here they did it. And I think part of it's fascinating for a couple of reasons. I mean, one is just the fact that like these monsters live among us and do these kinds of things and prey upon the most vulnerable kind of women, pick women that they assume nobody cares about. And this is since it's not true. The families have been looking for them and cared for them a lot. But also it's interesting because just the methodical police work that apparently led to his arrest so many years later. I mean, they just, you know, they were a dog with a bone and they were not going to stop. And I find that amazing. Just the work of police officers who years after the fact for women that they didn't know and many people don't care about continue to do this methodical search until they apparently, you know, allegedly found him. But yeah, the the parallels to BTK are are really eerie. Um, They're, you know, unlike most serial killers, they were both married. They both had children. Um, you know, they both had jobs. They weren't loners to the extent they had family. And also that they took such pleasure, not just in the murders themselves, but in kind of rubbing people's faces in it afterwards, right? Yes. Calling the family and as so sedative. Yeah. I mean, that's just special cruelty. Yeah. Yes. And I think, you know, we're we're afraid we're going to see much more since he lived in different locations that they're they're speaking and trying to connect to other crimes, you know. Yeah, that seems likely. He was a truck driver at one point too, and that's a lot of opportunity out there. 
yes, as you say, the the heroes are the the police who really did stay with it. And the families. And the families, with all the pain they had to endure and the people rebuffing them at first, they really stayed on it. And it, and it was meant to uh, it was meant to have that level of care and attention until they could get the answer. And then coming back to fiction, I guess what people love when they're reading a story as bad as it gets, you're, you're talking about very frightening situations or crimes, but when you can have the good guy and usually the very clever woman, detective or DA, solve the crime or, or protect the potential victim, then that's why you are happy that you read the book about this in the first place, because otherwise it'd be just too awful to contemplate without those good stories, good spins and, and good endings. And I think when you have good writers who get a following the way you do, it's so good just for reading. You know, people have so many other things they could be doing and screens they could be looking at. But they get a book. And Shelter Island, I would say, our, our wonderful library director, Terry Lucas, said we have sort of very high percentage of people who actually read books. And other libraries will do more online. Mm-hmm. But they like to keep a good good inventory of books. Actual books. Yeah. I much prefer a book to, I mean, I'll, I'll take a book in any form, but I definitely, there's something about the feel of a book um, yeah. that kind of is part of the experience. That brings me to uh, what I love to ask is, what are you reading now? Who are you reading now? I'm reading a terrific book right now um, by an author named Michael Carita, K-O-R-Y-T-A. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's called An Honest Man. It just came out Tuesday, I think, but it's um, about more than halfway through and I, I want to get back to it. It's set in a little fishing community, like an island town in Maine. And it's um, it pulls you in from page one. It's t- fabulous. Love it. Oh, boy, we'll be running to get that one. (laughs) As we come to the end of our interview, I want to thank you for just giving us a glimpse behind the work it takes to put out such entertaining books. And I I hope that it's still fun for you. must be a little bit less fun if you have a deadline or somebody says, well, this is a series. What's the next book from from Alifair Book? Oh, and also I wanted to mention you have this beautiful name. And I know that your father had a character in one of his books with your name. And you said that it comes from his family history. His mother's mother's name was Alifair. Yeah, and his mother, my grandmother, was relentless in a, a campaign. She should have been a lobbyist. She, <laughs> she was relentless in her campaign to have me named Alifair, and she won. What? I think it's. I think it was common, kind of in the Dust Belt and in the South, um, in the 1700s and 1800s, and kind of just a, a name that sort of died out. But yeah, my dad used it for a book when I was in college and he asked me if I minded. And at the time, nobody really read his books. I'm like, whatever dad, do what <laughs> <Love> you want. <laughs> and uh, then he became a bestseller and he's still writing. He's still writing about that family and Alifair who started out as I think a seven-year-old is now like 40. <laughs> um, wow. So people know the name now. Well, it's a, it's a beautiful name and it makes it easy to spot your books because it jumps out at, at people from the cover. I'm so grateful for this time. I know how busy you are and so grateful that you're you're nearby and you put Shelter Island in the book. I love Shelter Island. It's a beautiful place and it's a great place to take a book down to the beach and read. <laughs> so come, come over anytime and, and we'll make you welcome here. I go over there on a lot of Sundays. <laughs> go to salt <laughs> Sunday and salt sounds great alright well maybe I'll see you at the shipwreck 
<laughs> That's where I go. Sunday, fun day at the shipwreck. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. This has been great. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you there. Thanks so much, Susan.